This episode of Ride at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where, on sale through the end of the month, uh, you're going to find the first of the season, fresh and wild Alaskan halibut. You can save $7 a pound there and get some to have fresh and then maybe freeze a little for later on. Also, I'm looking on their website at Bunches of Asparagus. You're going to save $2 a pound on that. And, uh, of course, recipes are are always available on Zupan, so you can put those two together and make poached halibut and lemon and as- with the lemon and asparagus and find the recipe at zupans.com. Again, this is what we've been talking about for some time, these great deals on great uh, food items, and then, hey, maybe you don't know what to do with them. Zupans can help you out. How about this? How about $10 off Harris Ranch Prime New York Steaks right now? Uh, save $10, stock up. You can throw these in your freezer and they'll keep there for a while, which is pretty great. Yeah, it's nice to pull them out and have something so delicious. And something else that's in store is uh, Chow Italia right now going on at Zupan's. Specials on a lot of imported Italian products and tasting going on throughout the weekend. As a matter of fact, you may even see me there this weekend uh, on 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 the 19th. I may be there. Come and say hello also. That's for the uh, Taste of Italy. So three locations to serve you, McAdam, West Burnside, and Lake Oswego. And information always available where, Chris? Zupans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again for Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And I'm Court Johnson from uh, Portland Radio, kink.fm. Boy, we changed that format, or not format, but I used to chime in and introduce you, and now you are. And, I, you know, I was left with my mouth wide open. It's not often that I'm left with my mouth wide open with nothing to say. Well, I, I uh, speed through it so quickly now. I, you know, we're into to year nine of the the podcast i would assume majority of the people listening know who we are but you know we gain listeners all the time we maybe lose listeners all the time but uh that's not possible no right why would they not keep coming back for this right well the only reason would be and by the way thank you all you listeners who are actually listening to this now yeah because when we started this podcast we had to tell people what a podcast was sure and how to access it now there are a zillion choices so the fact that our listenership has maintained we grew in the beginning a lot but it's maintained over the past three years i'm Actually happy about that and proud of that, too, because people have a lot of choices. So thank you for tuning in to Right at the Fork. We we try our best to bring you the best content and the coolest people and the best backstories of what's going on in the Portland food world. And that, well, we expand that this week. But... Um, very exciting to, to speak with Chef Jonathan Jones in... Salem at Epilogue Kitchen and Cocktails, who was nominated for a James Beard semifinalist for the James Beard um, Best Chef Northwest Award. Um, and since yesterday, we just found out that uh, they made the the cuts for a finalist, and Jonathan isn't on that list. However, I'm sure he was very proud and happy. I know 
we we talk about how proud and happy he was to to be nominated as a semifinalist. That's quite an honor in Salem. And frankly, I had not heard of him or his restaurant before that nomination, and uh, went down to sample it. Um, well, enjoy it. What a great place! Worth the drive from anywhere to go to Salem to try Epilogue Kitchen and cocktails, and uh, get in on the food and the cocktails that they're serving at uh, down in Salem, right downtown there. Yeah, I would have to assume, Chris, that uh, you know, much like any sort of uh, industry award, just being considered for it, you know, the initial nominations is is quite significant. So, um, you know, he's got a lot to be proud proud of. Yeah, and there was some good competition in Portland, too, as well. So, um, and Seattle, and elsewhere. Yeah, so, it's, the, it's the wacky thing of, of the way the James Beard Foundation does these, uh, these territories, because it's uh, the Northwest, but it also includes Alaska, which makes sense, but then it also includes Hawaii. So, okay. Yes. <laughs> that, that is... Um, it doesn't matter. It's all great sure. chefs put together. It's kind of yeah. like, you know, in, uh, for years in the National League, Atlanta was in the Western Division. So right. that kind of stuff happens. So, so the, the, um, the challenge with having a, a, a gigantic country as it is it, with ranging populations, because as we all know, a good chunk of the American population literally lives on the East Coast and it gets more spread out heading out here West. And so uh, it's harder, harder to do. Well, also things change, too. So, uh, for instance, um, you know, we didn't have the James Beard Awards for a year or two there because things were so funky. So now they're back and, um, you know, they're doing it again. And uh, I would love to know what, what, how they're doing it exactly. I think they changed a little of the criteria. I know that the submissions were changed, how those submissions were changed. And I believe, and I, and I talked to Jonathan, I don't think he, he submitted. I think it just happened. No. So that was pretty cool. But I could be wrong there. Um, but you'll hear in this interview exactly how this went down. And the fact that he was surprised leads me to believe that they did not submit but it's possible right. they did too so um really cool interview what a bre- what a smart guy and having done a little prep just a little before the podcast which included going to visit the restaurant which i don't always do um but uh we saw that J- jonathan has been quite involved in some political activity uh, down there and elsewhere surrounding Black Lives Matter. Um, and it was, uh, I know that when I asked him to come on the podcast, he didn't want to focus on that per se, but I thought this being timely, it was, we needed to talk about that a little bit. And we, up front, we talk about his involvement in that, what progress has been made, what he expects. And uh, then we get into more of the positive things in terms of what's been going on with the restaurant and uh, and his past, how he got out here to Portland, which of course we always like to do on Right at the Fork. That's what we're all about, right? Right at the Fork. Yeah. Where you take that Right at the Fork. He took quite a few and landed in Oregon, and it's uh, nice to talk to him about it. Very nice. So before we get to uh, the great conversation you had with Jonathan, uh, I do want to quickly ask you, Chris, you are traveling this year. In fact, you're traveling soon in the spring, and you're also heading out in late summer or fall. Um, You've got some room, right? 
We've got some room. And so, no, yes, in uh, what, almost a month, we're heading off to Spain. We are now doing the trip we originally had planned in 2020 with Javier and J.L. Quinteros of Urdaneta. That's happening. We have another trip in the fall. Both of those are pretty full. Um, I mean, I could squeeze someone in if they called this weekend and want to go to Spain next month. Um, but uh, we do have tr- plenty of room on our trip to Sicily with Aus- Austria Ensign. Um, and that's going to be exciting. Uh, that is Western Sicily, starting in Palermo, Edice, Agrigento, and all parts in between. Some incredible culture and food on that trip. And uh, just go to the Portland Food Adventures website, take a look at that. You'll also see there we have trips to the Snake River with Chef Jonathan from Ringside and also Leaf. Gildersleeve and his chef Eric Englund from Flying Fish. We have room in that one. It looks like the ringside trip sold out in one day. Wow. So um, I haven't gotten deposits on everything yet, so I shouldn't necessarily say that, but it looks like that one happened with an email out from ringside yesterday. Thanks to those folks and everybody who signed up, but we do have room. Uh, They're great trips. I've always said, Court, and I will continue to say, I know it's I'm promoting what I do, but these are public service announcements. These are trips to Sicily and also on the Snake River. It's really special with Canyon Outfitters, nothing like that. So thanks for indulging me. And, uh, and now we can get back to our interview with Jonathan Jones. I really enjoyed this one. He's from Epilogue Kitchen and Cocktails in Salem. Make a reservation also and supplement this podcast with a visit down there soon. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland. West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. And by... Portland Food Adventures. Join our host, Chris Angeles, and his colleague, Austri Enzyme, next September for a wildly delicious adventure through Western Sicily. Palermo, Marsala, and lots in between. Book now to make sure you don't miss the best of Sicily. Since 2015, PFA has been taking Portlanders on incredible journeys with Portland chefs and artisans to Europe and beyond. Check out the Trips tab at portlandfoodadventures.com for Sicily, Spain, and more. Or contact Chris through the website right now while you're listening to the podcast so we are uh we're speaking remotely with jonathan jones of epilogue how do you actually refer to it epilogue kitchen and cocktails is that it jonathan that is correct yeah oh well yeah uh, we had the nice experience after reading about your good beard fortune james beard fortune a few weeks ago of saying, hey, let's see what that impact was on the restaurant. And I just went to see what reservations might be available on Saturday night. And I think we got in under the gun because when we finally came, you were packed, you were busy, but we were able to get a reservation on a Saturday night, I think four or five days in advance. I'm guessing that's not the case now. Congratulations on your third anniversary. You're doing a uh, tasting menu, it appears, for this week for that, and that's sold out. 
Yeah. Yeah, actually, we, we sold that out uh, yesterday. Um, and realistically, we probably sold it out the day before. Um, I just didn't look at the computer for like 12 hours. So, so it kind of kind of got up on us. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite a wild ride since, since the Beard nomination, um, the semifinalist announcement. And that has been, you know, it's been pretty amazing. We're still riding that. Have you seen a lot of new faces that you had seen before? Yeah, absolutely. It's been um, <laughs> it's been actually mostly new faces. Uh, it's been kind of nice because our regular crowd, I think, has sort of stepped back for a little bit and let those new people come in and experience things. And um, I really appreciate that. You know, they got us through the hardest time to own a restaurant. Um, you know, when we went to takeout only, they were there to support us, and they've been—they've been a lot of them have been with us since day one. So, uh, can't say enough about the the customers we have and how supportive they've been. I would imagine it's a little bit uh, of a conundrum because they're stepping back, the people that supported you, and now you've got some. You know, you're certainly grateful for the accolades, but now you've got quote unquote fair weather fans. Um, Going on, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and let's hope that they're, you know, your the hope is they they turn into better than Fairweather fans to look loyal f- followers and diners. Um, but yeah, yeah. that's got to be a little weird. I mean, I felt a little like that when I came into the restaurant uh, to eat with you. It's like, well, I wouldn't have known. There's a lot of people that w- may not have known about you until that. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just, you know, it, it's been, it's been a little bit of a, yeah, like you said, a conundrum to try and get, to try and feel, um, feel out how to do that and how to make sure that we are, you know, still providing what we want to the people who have gotten us here while welcoming everyone who's new. And you've been in the dining room, it's, it's 20 by 20 feet, you know, <laughs> there's right. not a ton of space in there. So trying to make sure that everybody feels welcome and, and cared for is definitely uh, an interesting puzzle to solve. Well, all those books, when you walk in, they're comfortable. They're, they got their spot yeah. lo- blocked out. And, uh, yeah. and and I like the way you designed it. It's a beautiful room, by the way. I love the way you designed it. I like the idea of the, the choice of books when you walk in, but also what it does from a design standpoint, and it provides a little... Uh, break from the front door to the rest of the dining room. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, but I wanted to Thank talk. A, I just want to touch a little bit on those books and what the what the purpose of those books are, why they're there, and how that has um, how they've worked. And uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the progression. That is, I guess it's no secret that um, there was a little bit of attention drawn on the restaurant because you have been an advocate for Black Lives Matter. Um, and I'm just curious as to how uh, ed- the education of the public, it's a hard thing to do, I know. You've got a lot to do yeah. as, a, as a restaurant owner and as a chef, so that's a lot of energy that you're pouring into something that um, a lot of people believe is very important, and you obviously believe it's very important. How has that... Uh, how has the, I'm sure the people coming, people coming into the restaurant are receptive and are working on it. Is that the case? Yeah, that's, that's definitely the case. Um, so 
we've we've been into books. My wife and I've been, you know, we're we're nerds. We're book nerds. Have been forever. Um, and reading and literature and you know self education has been a big part of my life for a long time. And um, the library really started when we were having conversations with some city officials and it was, you know, they were pretty hard conversations right after the, the George Floyd protest started and, you know, conversations about race relations and, and how they got to where they are and the historical um, issues of, of systemic racism as well as just sort of individualized racism. And very quickly we realized that, I realized that there was, a pretty big disconnect between the, the level of just personal experience, but also education that I had and what these elected officials had. And one thing that sticks in my mind is that uh, I brought up truth and reconciliation as a concept that, you know, that Mandela and DeClerc were using uh, to try and sort of fix, quote unquote, uh, apartheid and, and to get the, uh, South Africa out of out of that quagmire. And one of the elected officials that we were speaking to had never heard of that concept um, and actually didn't really know what apartheid was. And that was sort of this, this aha moment for me. I was like, okay, we can't have productive conversations about any of this without having some sort of basic level footing um, and so I already had a ton of these books and, you know, we had at the time an empty dining room because we were just doing takeout. And so I just took our, at the, it was a, our hostess stand that was just sitting there covered in takeout boxes and just converted that into a little, little library to put up front and, um, announced that it was there and very quickly it got really well received because the public library was also closed at the time. And so people who were trying to find a way to educate themselves about what was for them, like pretty new, right? It was a lot of white people who had never had the experience of racism, who had never had to think about it in any deep way. And now they wanted to, they, they were being shown this thing. They were, you know, their hearts and minds were open and they just needed the opportunity to, to pursue that before it, before it went away, before like the, the impetus left. And, so striking while they are in the hot situation, um, putting that library together, announcing it was there. It's free. Um, we do, you know, we require deposits, but that's just to cover if something doesn't come back and it's refundable when the book does come back. Um, and it has been, you know, one of our proudest moments actually has been that educational. Obviously, I'm in this because I love to communicate via food, but my whole life has sort of been around how do I, how do I communicate my experience and how do I help educate in a productive and like a, a caring way. And this, the library plus all the, we have literature that we've also created that's just sort of like compilations of other books and other resources. Um, and those have been really well received as well. Uh, you know, you, you touched on something that obviously hit me. I'm a white guy. I'm older. I grew up in a fairly, you know, in the Northeast. 
I when when this all happened, and it's interesting that we say when this all happened because it's been going on for a long time. But when George the George Floyd incident happened, it caused a lot of us to think about how how we viewed race relations. Um, and then there's the second part of that: what we would do about it. Um, so uh, you know, one of my feelings was it's a long as you say on your website, it's a long process. It's a marathon because nothing's going to change overnight. You've got the people who are receptive to the message and want to learn about it. And then you have some people that will never pick up a book and will never change. And so you're kind of working on the middle ground, right? I would think you're working on those people in the middle to help educate them and maybe change things on the the side that isn't going to change at all so to make people aware it's a long go and i know you know i remember when it first happened i have some african-american friends and i was very uncomfortable with discussing it because i just didn't want to say the wrong thing and i still kind of feel that way coming up to this interview with you i just don't want to say the wrong thing um and i but i i understand that you are sympathetic to that too because I could see it in yeah. what you were writing. So it's kind of like we're all in this together, but we're coming at this from a different angle. And then, you know, I feel I felt guilty all along that I haven't taken action enough. On the other hand, you know, there's there's different degrees of action. So people have to decide on their own what they would do. But I think Absolutely. it's I, I think it's great that in your words here today and there indicates that you are um you understand there's there's feelings on both sides and we just need to have a meeting of the minds reading is a great way to do that i think and i i I commend you for taking that uh that approach it's not the only approach you've taken i'm sure but uh, I I commend you for that. That to me is a smart approach in getting discussions going and more importantly thoughts so um yeah so that's yeah, and you know oh, go, go ahead uh just one of the one of the things that has come up with that and it was a hard learning curve for me um was to to learn how to spot the difference between someone who wanted to learn and someone who had no intention of learning had no intention of becoming a better person and how to sort of because one of the, you know, the, the former is someone that I will spend a lot of energy on. And the latter is someone who I have learned to not spend energy <laughs> what? And, So I'm curious, what are some of the, uh, what are some of the tells on that? Um, the, honestly, the, the biggest tell right now is if someone approaches the conversation um, about the phrase Black Lives Matter, and the first thing they say is, well, all lives matter. Because we are now, we're now two years, two years plus removed from George Floyd. But even prior to that, that phrase has existed. And if you haven't taken the time in the five-ish years to understand why the response to Black Lives Matter is your, is to first say that they don't, then like, I don't have I don't have energy or time for that. And and I know that what you're doing is safeguard and and what you're trying to do, you're not trying to learn, you're not trying to, you know, grow your mind a little bit. You're you just have your position and you're staying there. 
But we have a lot of people who who start conversations with us, with me in particular, by saying, like, you know, I had no idea. I didn't know. And that, to me, says that they are just sort of lost in the in the very large, you know, issue of race relations in America. And that's someone who actually, like, as hard as those conversations may be, that's a conversation I'm going to have 100% of the time. And yeah. So that's honestly that's that's sort of the biggest tell. <laughs> right. I um I don't think I ever used that phrase and I'm not being defensive in saying that, but I knew when I heard very quickly when I heard people say all lives matter that they weren't getting it. That they weren't saying this is yeah. time to um you know, this is time to acknowledge that this is not about <laughs> this isn't about white people. This is about acknowledging what has been going on. And yes, Jonathan, it was a learning experience because those of us who aren't in your shoes may have over the years understood that that we had advantages that you don't have as a as a people. Um, But I don't think we I don't think, you know, sometimes we turn our turn off the news when there's shit we don't want to see. And over the years, it maybe wasn't even covered. But boy, in the last couple of years, it if you're not watching the news, if you watch the news and you don't think there's some shit going on that has been just awful, and some of the outcomes of the in uh, in court cases are just absolutely uh, unfair, um, then uh, then you're not paying attention. And I guess that's yeah. uh, that's a big part of it too. So. Um, and there, there's no shame in not knowing that that's, I, I view that in the same way that I view the way that I create things in the kitchen is, you know, Mitch Frizzle said it best, you know, make mistakes, get messy. <laughs> that's, and that's the only way to approach food. It's the only way to approach trying to understand the complexity of our society. You know, like it's going to be messy, but you got to do it. Well, I think that's a that's a, a loving statement that you just made because, yeah, I I looked at myself as it's not my fault I grew up where I grew up and, um, but you know we're all here to learn and uh, and um, I think that was a big a big period. I don't know how much you want to uh, focus on that. I just thought it was important to talk if we're, if we're going to have a conversation, that's a conversation you've been having and it's an important one. So um, I don't want to spend an entire podcast on that because you've got some really uh, wonderful things. And by the way, realization for people and making even incremental change is a wonderful thing. So that's great that changes yeah. have been, you know, and so I want to ask you quickly before we move on to it, how much was your focus on Black Lives Matter before George Floyd? And then how much of your time now, you're a busy man with your restaurant, <laughs> with not only operating it and doing all the things that you need to do to operate it, but cooking in the kitchen and making sure everybody's happy. How much of your uh, energy is spent on that now versus before, and how much do you think you're going to need to spend in the future? Um, so before, I was actually, honestly, a lot of my community outreach was more focused on uh, the unsheltered, and that has maintained, but um, there's a lot of internalized, like, um, not othering, but uh, lessening 
um, one of the things you're sort of taught as as a non-white person in the country is that your needs come after other people. And so prior to the sort of reawakening um, after George Floyd's murder was a lot of my energy in that and in that venue was like um, was was on other other things directly tied to my life experience. Um, after he was killed, while we were doing just takeout, I would say probably like eighty percent of my focus was on was on activism and, and community outreach. And, um, now that we're you know we're back to dine in for the fourth time and hopefully the last time that we'll have to make that change. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that we're back to that, I've really had to dial it back to, you know, 20%. Um, it's less less of the day-to-day and more of the, the groundwork has already been laid now. And there's other people doing the work now who who I can sort of assist and I, I still have, you know, the ideas and we still run events and we still do that stuff. But the the legwork I don't have to do quite as much now and I can focus on the the food side of things for a little while. All right. So a couple of quick questions on that and then I'd like I'd like to move on to your your journey, your rights at the any rights at the fork that you've taken. Um, but do you feel as though progress has been made? Do you see it in a tangible way? And do you think that it's possible that once people the the fervor of what happened a couple of years ago dies down a little bit that the spark is going to need to be ignited either in a positive way or have things happen to do have it happen again i think that we have individually there's been a lot of progress um people that i have met now and have had enough time to have conversations through this whole thing um there's been a lot of change and a lot of people are now a little bit more um, aware of the reality of, of situations and they're more willing to have hard conversations, more willing to sort of uh, not, not write off, but cut out and force other people who have not yet done the work to be receptive to the hard conversation. Uh, until they are willing to do that work. And I think that's a big part of the process. You, you don't, you don't reach a point where you're able to have those conversations until you have a reason to do so. And if, if you're a person who's harboring a lot of, you know, uh, bigoted thoughts until the people around you say like, Hey, we're not going to tolerate that. We want to help you and we want to love you, but those thoughts are not something that we're going to entertain. Um, and until you hit that point, then you don't really have an impetus to, to change. And I think a lot of people being more comfortable with saying to their loved ones, like, Hey, like, as soon as you, as soon as you signal that you are actually having these conversations, then you're back in the fold. But for now, like you're, you're out there until you figure that out for yourself. Um, so that, that part I think has been really good and, and a lot of progress has been made. I think that systemically, very little has changed. Um, there was, you know, we've had a, a couple high-profile cases go the right way, but it hasn't actually changed anything in policy. Um, there's a, 
couple of police departments around the country that are perhaps changing their policy, but there's there's still so much pushback from police unions and you know individual officers that that's not changing. And so I think you know, like you said, like I said, it's a marathon. I think two years seems like a long time to be having this conversation, and I think at the end of the day, it's just not like it's not a long time. It's we're still we're in the infancy of this new wave of civil rights activism. Um, so I'm hopeful that we don't need another high-profile murder to keep the spark alive, but I kind of think that is already dying down a little bit. We've seen it. The protests that have gone on since then that we've, that I've been a part of, that I've gone to, and the numbers dwindle, right? And, you know, we went from having 2,000 people in the street in Salem to a couple dozen. And which is not to say the work isn't being done, you know, off the street, because there's like, there's a lot of avenues to make this stuff happen. But I think that people get tired and without a, a reinvigoration, then, and a reminder, then they lose interest. And I'm hopeful that our restaurant serves as that like gentle reminder that all of this is still here. Yeah, well, I I think so. I think you're obviously an intelligent and thoughtful person, and I um, I commend you for for being. I I believe you know I, I haven't seen all that you've done in the past two years, but it seems to me that you're taking a sympathetic and, uh, I, of course, as a as a white guy, um, uh, you know, an understanding approach too. That we that a lot of people have a long way to go and we're we live in a country where what 70 plus million people voted for trump those are a lot of people whose minds aren't going to be changed fast so i view it as you know i i grew up in an era where um you know people were very there was a lot of bullying going on in school and my son who has asperger's syndrome we were we were really scared for his future, what he was going to go through. And we were happy in the, in the 90s. Was it, yeah, it was the 90s and through the 2000s that things had at least progressed in that regard for our son. So because, because let's face it, older people with entrenched values move on. And then younger people with, who have uh, more open minds um, and are taught differently from a younger mind, take hold in society. So it's going to take, I would say, in 20 or 30 years, maybe we won't have these challenges or as many. Who knows? But um, but I think, you know, over time, when you have different people making decisions and acting on things, we'll, we'll definitely see a difference in... Folks like you won't have to work as hard doing it. And everyone, I shouldn't just put it all on you, everyone. So it's a collective effort. So so let's talk about COVID. No, I just thought you're celebrating, you're celebrating your third anniversary and couldn't have picked us. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, I think in the long run, you're going to, you may be stronger for it all, but wow, to, to choose yeah. to open in, 2019 um and then a year later have all this stuff happen uh covid and then everything else 
you know, you've swung the heavy bat, you know, proverbally when they, uh, when the on deck batter is swinging the bat with a donut and then they get up. I, I'm hoping yeah. that's the case. So you're just going to be killing it. And when we come out of this, yeah, it's, uh, we definitely are hardened now. Um, the, the crew is definitely sort of, um, kind of always waiting for the other, for the other shoe to drop. Um, there's a, there's a bit of a, I don't know, a trepidation, a trauma response to having to constantly make changes during that period when we were, you know, the takeout and then tentatively we did dine in and then we shut it down again and then we reopened it and shut it down and reopened it. And so now it's like, I think it's going to take a little while before we're just sort of like used to things going smoothly. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are we are now very well versed in how to make those changes and how to do it quickly. <laughs> and also to to yes to um, anticipate that you can't get too comfortable with anything because whoever thought all the stuff that happened was going to happen in the way that it happened over the last two years, you you now know you can never be too right. comfortable. And shit, now we got this war going yeah. on. <laughs> Uh, or so to speak, whatever it might be, who knows, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a tough go. So I'm hoping that for you and many restaurants, I have a lot of friends in the business that you've developed a really nice, uh, profit center and takeout that will continue so that you'll have that along with your dine-in business that you may not have had, had all this yeah. not occurred. Yeah. In fact, uh, prior to, you know, March 2020, we actually didn't do any takeout at all. Um, we sort of refused to do it because a lot of our food just doesn't travel well. And right. our takeout menu is not, in, it's not what our dining menu is. There's some crossover, but it's not entirely the same. So um, that was one of the things we had to do was learn, okay, what, what are we okay with sending out the door? And what, what will we absolutely not do? How do we keep people excited? How do we keep ourselves excited? Because, um, you know, I didn't get into this business to put food in boxes and not interact with people. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I know you haven't listened to this podcast over the last couple of years, but there, you know, if I ever had a, um, a forum to talk to bitch about stuff, I have hit the point where I thought I don't want to eat food in boxes anymore. That's to me, isn't dining. Yeah. It's just yeah. eating. <laughs> and, and, um, and so I can't, and I, we had a nice discussion with Vitaly Paley about all his pivots during this. And here's a guy who, you know, was trained not to put food yeah. in boxes and, you know, any, any great chef isn't serving food to travel could be an hour to be taken out of a box and then maybe not even played it yeah. eaten out of the box. That is just, <laughs> so, I mean, there are all these factors that go into it, but so, but you know, I think for takeout in the future, you have some items that could do well for people who want the convenience. Yeah. Um, but so do you think you're, you're better positioned now to be a little more profitable now that you had to, tighten some things up and figure them out. And of course you still have issues coming out of this with higher food yeah. costs and are the la the labor pool is really tough right now. So, uh, 
I don't know if we're ever going to, you know, I don't know if it's ever going to be smooth sailing, but that anybody in the restaurant business is, is ever going to say, this was the greatest thing I could have done. Uh, yeah. It's your passion. You're there. But as far as the business is concerned, it's a tough. Yeah. Call. I don't think it's ever going to be smooth. And I think just from a sanity standpoint, I think I have to adopt that mentality that, you know, plan for it to always be chaos and then allow myself to enjoy the moment when it is sort of peaceful and tranquility. And because otherwise you're just setting yourself up for just constant heartache and constant ulcers. And, <laughs> and you know, the that was sort of a, a defense mechanism that, that I developed that I know everyone I know in the industry developed was like, yeah, you know what? It's been, it's been chaos for so long now that the only way for us to go forward is to just accept that that's the way it, that it's going to be and try and thrive within that new reality and that model. Um, so, you know, we're going to try and keep take out our kitchens very, very small. And so when we have, when we have full dining room, it's really hard for us to also do, uh, you know, any sort of robust takeout service. So over the last two weeks, we've been actually turning off takeout during peak dine-in hours, which I'm not super happy about. And I feel bad because a lot of those folks who have supported us are still not going out for whatever reason. And, um, and we are just, you know, it feels a little bit like we're abandoning them. We're Trying hard not to. Um, in fact, next week, because we're not doing any takeout at all this this weekend because of the the tasting menu. Uh, next week, we're going to instead run some takeout only specials and just try and sort of, you know, bounce back and forth, make sure that they know that we haven't forgotten about them and that we haven't forgotten what they did for us. So I, my suggestion to you to make it easy, and I'm not a professional at all, but just work around your biscuits because those are the best biscuits I can remember having in my life. We, we got some to go and we had them for two breakfasts the next two days. And, um, yeah, if you can work around those, those travel well, you just heat those up and they're, (laughs) so, um, I'm sure you've got, you've got a more, uh, uh, more vast, uh, menu that you have in mind, but but those work really well. Do you? So let's talk a little bit about this wonderful James Beard nomination that you got. It seems to me, in our discussion and from what I've read, it came out of left field completely for you. So uh, and and how? Ha- so it's been a couple of weeks. How have you operated since? Is there anything you can do to help yourself win the whole thing, or do you just go doing what you're doing and and hope? Uh, I, I think we just do what we do. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything we can do. Um, you know, I, we, I took the crew out, uh, last, on Monday night and did a little celebration and we talked about that a little bit and I was like, honestly, like we didn't even know that we were in the conversation and we were just doing what we did. So we're going to continue to do that. And, <laughs> um, you know, we are. We are excellent and we've known that and so we're just gonna we're just gonna keep on keeping on and hope I think right that some point at some point someone from the subcommittee comes to the restaurant um, and hope that 
we catch them right and that they yeah. order right. <laughs> well, you never you you never know. But how does it feel? I mean, I think it's fantastic for you personally and your staff. They've obviously worked very hard, but don't I see it as for a long time, I've been doing what I've been doing for a dozen years now. I can't believe that. But a dozen years. And Salem was never in the conversation. Like with the Portland food scene, it's not like someone said, hey, right. you got to go down to Salem. That never happened. And so now all of a sudden you, how do you feel that you shined the spotlight on the on the capital city that, that really didn't have a dining spotlight on it? And I'm going to say... We've sp- I've spent a little time down there. I've actually found that there's some nice spots down there that people should visit, including yours. It's pretty cool, and it's an alternative, and it's not far. It's 35 miles from from Portland. Right, right. 35 miles. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't take that long to get. And down. there's lots of. Uh, let me just say, there's lots uh, yeah, of cheap I mean, gas on the way. If you want to fill up, you got those two gas stations on the way that are cheaper <laughs> than anything else in Portland. Yeah, and Salem is also, you know, we we are the sort of gateway to world-class water. Um, you know, 10 minutes away from us, just in just in West Salem, there's absolute world-class Pinot, Chardonnay. Like, there's amazing stuff in our backyard. And I think people sleep on that um, and don't want to, like, you know, they don't want to drive a 35 mile. Um, it's, it's really vindicating to have, to have the spotlight. And... We've definitely had it in the last few years for other reasons that are not <laughs> that are not positive. So this feels really good to have a, a positive spotlight shine. Um, and I've tried over the last couple of years to get some some Portland people to come down just to sort of get the idea of the community to sort of expand its boundaries a little bit and and realize that you know. For all intents and purposes, Salem is—it's not technically a bedroom community of Portland, but it, it could, you know, with housing prices, it and could so, easily be a commuti- commutable situation for people into Portland. But I agree with you. You know, I've right. lived on the coast for eight years now, and when I I moved to here, I moved to Oregon from Connecticut, and I always thought, of course, I thought Portland was very was an incredible place in so many ways, having to do not only with food, but so many different things. Um, But I always viewed Oregon as the whole state as what's really special. And Portland was just a big part of it. But Oregon, you know, that's one of the things that people talk about or that um, any tourist commission talks about is it's not all about Portland. Within two hours, you've got the coast, you've got mountains, you've got rivers, and you've got other cities too. I mean, Corvallis has, has got some things going on. Eugene, for sure. And uh, and our Astoria's yeah. got some great restaurants and some great things to do. So I've always thought that Oregon, it's all about Oregon, and you pick and choose your spots. And I think it's great that... Um, that Salem is now going to be in the conversation. I hope not only for this year, but going going forward too. So, um, and it's as you yeah. said, it's a positive. And I'm gonna I I don't know if I'm gonna correct you or just th- ask. I, I think of it a little differently. I know it's been hard for you over the last years, and you were talking about you referred to that and as 
in in relation to the James Beard nomina- nomination as a positive thing, that the rest was negative. But I think over time, it may be viewed as, while it was difficult, as a positive thing that, um, that you know, you the movement had to be made anyway. So, um, and, you know, in the rearview mirror, yeah. things look a little different. So, um, I, yeah, I yeah, hope absolutely. I hope that's the case. But um, it's it's very cool. So, uh, I want to talk a little bit about you personally and um, how you got to where you are today. Was there a time where you were not going to go into cooking that you had another path that you were looking at? How did that happen? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I've been cooking since I could walk with with my dad, with my grandma. Um, been in the kitchen forever, but professionally. Education-wise, uh, you know, I, I went to school for for writing and photography, and so art has always sort of been my thing. Uh, graduated and then was hit with this sort of the reality of the world, which is like, okay, how do I how do I exist and also do what I want to do? And and where'd you go to school, by the way? Uh, where'd you go? To school? Uh, I went to school in uh, in Vermont at Marlboro College. Which is sadly now okay. not in not in existence. Uh, it was oh, that's too bad. It was bought by uh, Bard, I believe, and sort of yeah, that sort of thing happened. But um, I didn't know colleges bought each other and then <laughs> sucked them up and, and made them theirs. Uh, Wow! So there, there was a there was a Putin in, at Bar yeah. <laughs> who decided this is this needs to be yeah. ours. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't realize that was a thing that could happen either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a, a wonderful school, wonderful education. I learned learned a lot of things there. Um, but is that where you grew up in Vermont, or did you end up at that school? No, I ended up there. So I'm I'm originally from Southeast Pennsylvania, just outside of Philly, um, and then. Went to high school in Wisconsin, uh, just outside of Eau Claire, and so I've I've sort of grown up in quite a few different cultures and sort of just absorbed a lot of those things. And I I consider both the culture of Southeast Pennsylvania and of the Upper Midwest to be something that I belong in. Um, you know, I, I was I was shaped by those places and by those people, so. Um, those things are those things are really important to me, and it, it's definitely one of my privileges to have had that experience, to to have had that cross cultural education just as a as a child, as a teenager, um, and then you know the, the four years I spent in Vermont were incredible, and that's a you know you're from you're from the Northeast, it's a it's a wonderful place, and it's a very different culture than the other places that I was in. And so, you know, I got that experience then. Um, rugged, rugged folks. Well, while you're on that, before I forget to ask this, how do you compare the Northeast to where you are now? Because I am so happy I moved. I, there, you know, I lived there a long time. There are things to love about it, and but a lot of, not to love about it. So I just am really glad I'm in the Pacific Northwest now. Do you feel the same way? I, I would consider both the Northeast and the Northwest about equal for me in terms of um, positives and negatives. Where my where my heart finds for is definitely both Philly and then Madison. Um, those those cities in particular. 
but I think in the mixture of, you know, I like a lot of the culture in the Northeast. I love the nature. I, the nature here is better. I think that's just my, <laughs> my entirely biased opinion. Um, there's nowhere more beautiful than I've in this country. Um, it is absolutely stunning. Then I'm sorry, you cut out then. Nowhere more beautiful than where? Here. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. I wanted to make sure that that was clear because yeah. I wasn't clear. Yeah, no, on that. The Oregon is just a stunning, stunning state. <laughs> every, every time we go on a new hike, I'm sort of blown away. And yeah. Have you been up to the Wallawa Mountains? Because that was kind of the last thing I discovered. Oh. And man, I thought I thought I knew it all. And then you go out there and you think, holy shit, there's this too that nobody ever told me about. No, so, I've never been up there. Um, yeah, get up there to Joseph Enterprise area. The Hell's Canyon area, we do these uh, we do these rafting trips there now. It's just incredibly beautiful. And it's a different terrain than it is here. So... Anyway, I just mentioned that uh, in passing because it just makes Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, even more beautiful yeah. to, to explore that. Chris, we are going to pause here a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat here in Portland, a uh, Portland institution, as it were, Ringside Steakhouse. Yeah, and uh, 78 years, I understand now. Man, it was the 75th pre-pandemic, and now, boy, that, that time went fast. 78 years. We should cover the necessary particulars about what they're doing now. They're offering indoor dining and uh, heated and covered outdoor dining, and they're also doing to-go which I want to talk about in a second, but also they're doing seating in the bar as though it was the restaurant. So that beautiful bar that they just renovated a few years ago is now kind of part of the dining room, but it's it's got a cool vibe to it. So um, so all sorts of the hours are uh, 4 to 9 on weekends or 4 to 9.30 on Saturday, actually 4.30 to 9.30 on Friday, 5 to 9, Wednesday and Thursday. So they're closed now on Monday and Tuesday, although if you check in, sometimes they will be open on Tuesday. Um, and also, if you call an hour and a ahead, you can get to go, your food to go. I just did a party with 10 people at my house. Ringside provided all the food and it was spectacular we had new york strip boneless new york strip steaks which were easy for me to do on the grill and then slice up the mashed potatoes all sous vide were fantastic we got ingredients for salad hazelnuts two types of dressing green beans uh and oh lobster tails as well and uh it was really easy to do and also for dessert very simple some of the best toffee you're ever going to have you just throw that on a plate and it's all good so we were looking for something that was less work intensive and ringside provided it it's very nice so whether it be for a special occasion or a special occasion happening at your place Ringside Steakhouse has you covered. Yeah, and you can find them on Open Table or at ringsidesteakhouse.com for reservations, or you can call them at 503-223-1513. That's 223-1513 for reservations and uh, to order something to go. So you learned to cook then, and is, so you went to school, and then you got out and 
as many do, they realize they have to uh, support themselves yeah. <laughs> and end up in the restaurant industry. Is that how that happened? Yeah, it was a it was a little bit of ending up there and always wanting to have been involved in it. Um, I actually started um, my first job in in food service was as a I worked at a store called Bon Sauce, uh, which is German for from the cask, and it was a oil, vinegar, and, and high-end spirits store, and so I was I was working there and getting an education on sort of, like a deep education on ingredients, uh, which to me was a really, a really great way to sort of do the culinary trajectory, um, starting from literally the, the bare bones, the, be- the beginnings of any recipe, right? And I was also a little spoiled because as part of working there, you know, I had discounts. And so I was, I was definitely eating above my pay grade <laughs> on a, on a pretty regular basis in terms of the ingredients that, that we were using. Um, and I worked for a chef there, uh, chef Kevin Appleton, who, you know, he was, he was running their, um, cooking classes and I was assisting him and he is a, wonderful classically trained chef who cooked in Chicago at a lot of places and sort of focused on his family. And he is the one who taught me that, you know, the life in a kitchen doesn't have to be hectic. It doesn't have to be violent. There doesn't have to be anger. Like you can run a kitchen effectively and still be a calm and, and pleasant person. Um, and so that was, you know, I had never had the professional experience of having a chef, you know, yell at me, of throw something at me. And that's one of my privileges for sure is that, you know, I, I was aware that that was part of the industry, but I never actually experienced that. And so I've been able to sort of use what Kevin showed me and use that to, to lead my kitchen that way. And you and you have to because it's pretty much out in the open there. You couldn't do otherwise, yeah. and uh, and have a, a an hospitable environment there. So, um, that's cool. So we and where how did you progress from there? And I just want to find out how you got to port, how you ended up in not in Portland in Oregon. Yeah. Um, so we when we left Madison, um, we left basically because we were sick of the winter. The year we left, there was an 18-inch blizzard in the middle of May, and that was that was our exit. We were like, "No, we're there's enough of this." <laughs> that sounds like my, that is the, that's my exact ep- exit from Connecticut, yeah. <laughs> and was my was my exact exit from Syracuse, New York, in college when I went out to LA. So I completely understand yeah. that as like, "Fuck this, just let's go." Yeah, too much. Uh, so we went to Wilmington, North Carolina and we were on the hunt for a city that had similar similar demographics to Madison but in a warmer climate uh, which incidentally is how we ended up in Salem as well um, but so we spent a year and a half in Wilmington uh, helped launch a food festival down there um, I actually bartended most of my time that I was down there um, did a little bit of kitchen work but mostly we we sort of soft launched the beginning idea of our business down there and we were we were calling it, uh, there you go. Uh, yeah. 
I just lost you, my friend. Hello? There you go. You're back. You were calling it five and five and dime? Was it five or what was it? Uh five and dime. Yeah. Um, and we were doing just, it was just my wife and I, and we were doing, uh, $5 lunches out of our house. It was not a licensed situation. We were, we were just trying to figure out how to survive down there. Um, and so we had the neighborhood that we were just providing things to. And then the bar I was working at, um, selling to customers there. And that was sort of the very beginning of our, of our business venture was that. Um, and how long ago, how long ago was that? 2014. Okay, so we're talking about a pretty short period of time ago. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so we uh, decided that the South wasn't for us, uh, which is a whole other conversation. But <laughs> um, And then had never lived in the Pacific Northwest and packed everything up in our little Subaru and headed out here. So... It's the right car for the Pacific Northwest. At yeah. least you, your car drove you here. Your yeah. car, you were car driven. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still driving this a Subaru? Same one or a different one? Uh, we have we have two now. We still have that one. Um, it's a, a ninety one Subaru. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Well, good. So you're fully entrenched. So, yep. um, and it was a it was a little bit of a journey in Salem. You bounced around a few places and then did pop ups and opened where you are now. And before I forget, I want to say because you touched on it before, as far as Salem being a gateway to incredible wines, I loved. And I don't say this to a lot of people. I loved your wine list. I thought it was it had a beautiful selections, but it was just done so nicely and it was it was so presentable and so welcoming that it was kind of hard to choose but i just i just oh, thought i'd you. let you know i it's not something i tell people thank i you. say that too a lot uh, that, that means a lot because i spend a lot of time on it and i try really hard to sort of break down this barrier in wine that people think that it's for a particular demographic and that mm-hmm. there has to be this price tag attached to it and one of the one of the things we're proud of is that we will get college kids who come in here and order wine. I don't know anywhere else I've seen 22-year-olds order wine at a restaurant because it's expensive mm-hmm. or it's terrible. <laughs> and, you know, we we have a lot of varietals represented, regions represented, and it's, it's, most of it's at a price point that, like, yeah, you can experiment. You can go, you know what, I've... I've never had a Schwishway blend, but I'm going to try it <laughs> because it's, you know, it's only nine bucks. Um, right. So yeah, that, that wasn't the only appealing factor for me. It was just the way it was laid out. There's a lot that you're doing that, you know, uh, might be subtle, but it just lends itself to the experience. That's always been my thing about restaurants is the overall experience and, and you're, um, your wait staff was just ex- extremely friendly. Everything, everything to me was was really top notch, and, um, and and I'm talking about in regards to world standards, not just Oregon, because I think there are different standards here, yeah. slightly different <laughs> standards. <laughs> but no, I, I I commend you, and I think that the uh, the beard nomination was 
was uh, very worthy. So, so I love the fact that you had your pop-ups called prologue, and now your epilogue. Does that not leave you anything? Do you have to have a second epilogue? Does that, <laughs> what does that leave you for your future? You're already doing your epilogue. No, so you know, if we do something else, we'll, we'll probably um, start a new book, basically, um, new model, and and go from there. But what we really want to do going forward, if we can find a space for it and the time to make it happen, is our original vision was to eventually have prologue and epilogue operate in the same space. Um, one is one is pastry in the morning and afternoon, and then epilogue more bar focused so um that's our goal is to get them both operational under the same in the same building but we want to buy a building um that's like pipe dream down the way down the road but i'm tired of renting <laughs> well i would say uh, a beard nomination might help you draw investors right yeah. not only now but in the future just the fact that you have that on your resume is uh you know you've got you've got a lot of folks um yeah, in the state, north and south, who have some money who might want to invest in a restaurant. Whether you want to be dealing with them, that's another story. <laughs> but uh, but there's money. There is money out there. There's more money than I could imagine in the, st in the state to, uh, yeah. to generate that. So that's cool. So, um, uh, uh, But let's talk a little more specifically about how you got to Epilogue in Salem. I'm curious about that. Yeah, so, or prologue. <laughs> so landed here, and again, we were just sort of trying to find some spaces to get an income so that we could keep a roof over our head. And I ended up at uh, Santium Wine and Bistro, which is one of the very few bottle shops in town. Uh, it's a great bottle shop, and she has this little kitchen and hired me on Halloween. <laughs> I actually. I went in there. It was a very strange experience. Um, I went in just sort of dropping resumes, and they were all in costume. And I, I kind of forgot it was Halloween. I'd just been on the grind for a couple weeks, like trying to figure things out, and I completely spaced that it was Halloween. So I went in, and I was just like, "What? <laughs> this is very weird." And I like, uh, it was Adam's family too. And so Debbie, the owner, was. I want to say she was. Morticia, and so I mm -hmm. like, and so I like handed my resume to Morticia Adams, and then she, <laughs> that day they were short staffed, and she's like, "Well, can you work right now?" And I was like, "Yeah." So got this job there, and, and she gave me a lot. Of and did they call you? Did they call you Grandpa right right away? Although I might be in the Munsters realm there, it may not yeah. be the Adams family now that <laughs> I think about it. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, it was a very surreal experience. They, it took a while for them after that to, for me to feel like, well, one, I couldn't remember their name because my first, my first interaction with them was them in total costume. And so I'd meet them, you know, the next like two weeks and I was like, okay, you are not Morticia. <laughs> I have to try and, and try and get that. But Debbie, Debbie was really nice to me and really gave me a lot of freedom there. Um, I started running Friday night specials out of that that little kitchen there, and uh, we did some really some really amazing wine pairing dinners with some great producers. Um, and I worked there on and off for quite a few years, uh, four or five years. And then I helped 
launch uh, Taproot, which is a bar here in town, uh, wrote wrote his opening menu and launched his kitchen, ran that for a year and a half. And then after that sort of left, we bought a food truck and we were running Prologue out of the food truck um, and we had our house licensed as a as a you know home home based bakery as well, and then um, so ran that for a while. We did Chris Plum Wine, um, just in West Salem, just over the bridge there. For what was that? I'm sorry, repeat that because it cut out a little bit. Uh, Chris Plum, uh, the winery. How do you spell that? C R I S T O M. Okay, Chris Plum. Okay. Uh, absolutely stunning, stunning wine, great people. And they were kind enough to let me sort of park the truck up there on weekends and do my thing and experiment with a bunch of stuff. Um, I had actually been a harvest chef for them the two years prior to that. So, uh, that was a wonderful experience as well. That was, if I had the time, I would do that again in a heartbeat for somebody because that was, it was so fun getting to know the harvest interns. And, you know, hanging out with them while they were doing their thing and then nourishing them at the, at the lunch and dinner hours. And so that was really fun. Um, and then we flipped the truck to a model with a brewery that was in town called Salem Ale Works. Uh, they expanded. And when they expanded and moved, we were their sole food provider. And so we did sort of more Northwest focused tavern about a year and a half that was a blast um and then when that closed we just that summer so we our contract ended we, we stopped that and then that summer we just started looking for a space and jumped right into this this our our location downtown just sort of came on the market at about the same time and you know happened to be in a position to be able to, to pounce on it and so here we are, three years later. Fantastic. Um, uh, have you had any, did any any chefs or restaurants in Portland uh, appeal to you and a place that you thought would be, that you loved enough to respect and maybe bring a little bit back into your restaurant? Or um, are there any friends you have in Portland that um, that are of particular note to you? Yeah. Um so I'm absolutely, you know, infatuated with everything that Republica does. Um, they've been really supportive of us just like via social media of all the things that we do. And, and the first time that we went up there for dinner, my wife and I, it was sort of a rekindling of, of our desire. What we started doing, which was sort of, you know, in, intentional pairing. And, you know, a little bit more inventive and pushing boundaries a little bit. And I can't speak highly enough of, of what they do and the crew there and their unapologetic embrace of who they are and where they come from. Um, it, it really is quite a wonderful experience to go up there. I also love... And their, and their timeline mirrors yours or parallels yeah. yours. Yeah. Uh, too. They opened right before this all the shit hit the fan too. Yeah. Yeah. So they're just, you know, they're definitely something that we look up to quite a bit. Um, 
and it's quite an honor to be obviously different categories but to be on the list in the same time as them um, is quite something for us and there, honestly there's a lot of bars up there um, I'm that are just they're just doing it right um, we just went to rum club last week that place is awesome I love it there you know what I love about your saying that is that one of you know every a lot of people entrenched in the food world are always looking for the shiny new thing, which by the way is you and Repu- Republica. Yeah. Uh, but the places like the Rum Club have been there forever, and it's harder for them to get noticed. The only way they get noticed is being consistent and having a strong enough following to have lots of people recommend them and keep going back. So yeah. Rum Club is definitely one of those spots that's been around for a long time, and and uh, I love that spot. It's a it's a nice one for you to point out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good, and obviously. Um, uh, a strong bar program and wine program has had a lot of influence on what you do because it's, you know, you, it's not only about the food where you are. The cocktails uh, are a big part of it and and uh, the wine program, too. So um, I'm, you know, one of the things that I, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast and one of the reasons I, the chief reasons I started Portland Food Adventures, which, by the way, the seed of it was like uh, 12 years ago, wow. yesterday, uh, at a oh, at a really? restaurant in South Car- a restaurant in South Carolina, where I had the food of this incredible woman named Di, who was serving the food her grandmother served on slave pan- plantations, and I ate her food, and I said to her, I was the only one in the restaurant. And uh, she asked me where I was from, and I said Portland. And she said, "Wow, I heard that's an incredible food scene up there." This was uh, 2011, maybe? Uh-huh. No, 2010. And um, and I sat there eating her fried chicken and her okra and everything, and thought, "Man, if she's heard about this, there's something to this Portland thing. Maybe I should start a way of promoting all the great folks I've met up there." And that's how this started. But to bring this full circle, um, one of the things I've always had interested in, I think you guys are, our rock, I hate to use the word rock stars. I used to say our sports celebrities because Portland only has basketball <laughs> and maybe now soccer. And maybe now soccer. But I come from a place where, you know, we had two football teams, two baseball teams. And I've always thought our chefs are our really it's a really cool thing that you can you can get close to chefs here which in connecticut you could not do they were back in the kitchen and you didn't get to see them or talk to them and here you could have a relationship with them and um, i've always felt that's really special and you know this podcast today makes me realize you know you talked about things that rekindled your or just re-energized you I love the fact that we can meet someone like you who's uh, a thoughtful person and that I can, in my way, help um, showcase you as a person and your talents to other people and hopefully uh, result in excellent experiences for people. That's what it's all about, is that if they can get down there and learn something new today that they hadn't learned. So um, I didn't know if there was anything I missed that you perhaps wanted to talk about, Um, if and I know we've taken more of your time than I than I asked you for. So, 
Um, I, and I know you're busy. It's, today is Wednesday, and you've got your tasting menu. Does that start today or tomorrow? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay, so today's prepping and all that. Yeah. So, yeah. Jonathan, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, have gotten to know you a little better. You know, we had a five-minute chat when we came into the restaurant. This is an hour. And, yeah. uh, and now everyone gets to benefit from uh, hearing how you think, too. Yeah. So, um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, and I hope every, I, I hope a lot of people make that drive down to uh, to try Epilogue because it's absolutely worth it. Hey, I've been trying to tell people about places on the coast. That's an uh, that's two hours. This is thirty five minutes down to right. Salem, and uh, and there are, and you know what? There are a lot of people who are going to go down there and go, "Hey, this city looks pretty cool." Yeah. So um, <laughs> I think that's a good thing. So, yeah. Uh, th- thank you very much. I sincerely appreciate it, and uh, I hope to see you soon. And, and maybe down the road when we start doing events again, I'd love to chat with you about that too. I think uh, yeah. maybe a, maybe solo or a collaboration would be awesome. Yeah, um, so. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 